God? No. Do you have any reasons that you think of to be skeptical about the existence of God? Pretty much just like everything that you see going on around here. Like all everyone who's homeless, everyone who's dying. The Bible was written, what, 400 years after the events took place? I mean, if somebody tells you a story and then tells you the same story two weeks, generally things change and then we're gonna be going over a four century period. It's really hard to get things accurate. It's just something that makes people feel better about their existence. There's no magical thing in the sky because scientists um, like did studies, it's not real. Just a lack of proof. Religion is a great concept. Nobody really has it uh, as a truth or a fact. You'll never be able to prove it, and that's the problem with religion. It's kind of difficult to, you know, ignore the inevitable and what's really existing for us, which is death, and we have no idea what's after it. We need to believe in each other before we believe in other things. What, what has what has God done for anyone? God. <laughs> you can't see that, but there's air quotes there. <laughs> I don't know. I just find that maybe if there was a God, people would be better off and we'd all learn to understand each other a bit more, but we don't. Well, glad you guys are here. We are in the middle of a series that we're calling The Problem of God. It's coming out of a book that if you are a first-time guest with us today, you have free access to. Uh, we've got free copies of this book called The Problem of God, written by a man named Mark Clark, who's a pastor out in Vancouver. And it explores really the top questions that skeptics have about God's existence. But this isn't just a series for skeptics. This is a series for all of us in this room. Because whether you grew up Christian or whether you grew up far from the church, you, want, you, know, you, you feel like you've known God or you've, you don't really want to know God or you think he doesn't exist. Like This series is for all of us here to explore some of that evidence for ourselves, to really put our, our thinking hats on and actually look at it. Because for some of us in this room, maybe you grew up in a Christian environment where they just said, don't question it, just believe. You can't, you can't question it. Just have faith. It's a blind leap. That's what faith is. And so you just got to believe. And for some of us, maybe we're just like, all right, well, I guess I'll just believe. You know, and for others of us, it's like, are you, are you real? Like, have you seen the evidence? And it's actually pointed us away from God. And so what we want to do is we actually want to bring everybody all together here, skeptic and Christian, and say, man, let's look at the evidence for ourselves. So anyway, I'm really glad that you're here. We're going to be tackling probably the biggest issue today, Okay. The biggest issue for Christianity has been, and for a long time, has been the problem of evil and suffering, okay? So we got a lot to go through today. I'm going to move pretty quickly, and I need you guys to just stay with me on this one, because it's going to be like a put the pedal to the floor, we're going to be racing kind of a day, all right? Uh, now, uh, for some of you, um, you know this. I grew up in New Hampshire, uh, but I hate winter, okay? Hate winter. And I'm like, how can a good God create winter? Anybody with me on that one? We got a couple of people in the room. All right, we can go commiserate afterwards, all right? Look, December was a rough month. Um, my, all my kids were sick. And like, I had the flu. My kids had the flu. And like, it seemed like everyone I knew had the flu. Does anybody have the flu today? Because you need to leave and leave fast, okay? Uh, just kidding. Anyway, how can a good God? But this is not what we're talking about today, okay? We're not talking about how can a good God just create, you know, winter or, you know, why did we get... Uh, why did we get our parking space stolen? Why didn't I get the lotto ticket? You know, how didn't I land Brad Pitt for a husband? Like that, that's not what we're talking about. That's like, you know, those are, those are crazy issues. We're talking about stuff like, why do we have so many school shootings? 
What about the natural disasters in the world? Why are people suffering from that kind of stuff? You know, what about sex trafficking and how people against their wills are trafficked all over the world? We're talking about that kind of suffering and that kind of evil. And so here's how the, the classic argument goes against the existence of God. In the 18th century, Scottish skeptic, skeptic and philosopher David Hume put it this way. It's famous. It was, it was once uh, probably earliest um, said by Erasmus before, um, before Christ even came into the world. Um, but David Hume said it this way. He said, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is impotent, meaning he's not strong enough. Is he able but not willing then he's malevolent, meaning he's evil. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there suffering? Why is there evil? Now, this has rightly been called uh, the rock of atheism because they point to this and they say, look, because of all the stuff that happens in this world, all the evil and stuff, like you cannot tell me that, they, that a good, all-powerful God exists. Uh, I've told you this before, but I got a good friend that I meet with uh, at Starbucks, and uh, we, don't, we don't plan any time, but he's there every single day uh, with a whole bunch of older guys, and we sit down and we talk faith, we talk politics, we talk culture, we talk so much, uh, and uh, along the way, he said this, this is his biggest issue. How in the world can a good, all-powerful, loving God exist when there is so much evil and suffering? Another philosopher, Ronald Nash, put it this way. He says, objections to theism come and go, but every philosopher I know believes that the most serious challenge to theism was, is, and will continue to be the problem of evil. Uh, if, you've, if you've ever read the book Night by uh, Elie Wiesel, uh, he is a Holocaust survivor and in it, he describes what happened when he was in the concentration camps. Horrific stuff. Horrific stuff. And, I mean, just, just brace yourself for a second, because there was a moment where in the atrocities that were happening in the concentration camp, uh, they witnessed a kid that was wrongly condemned for something that he really didn't even do, and the leaders inside that Nazi concentration camp hung the child. But the child wasn't even weighty enough to completely die right away, so he struggled dying for hours on the noose. In the middle of all that, someone cried out, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And another person cried out on the other side of the camp, he's hanging on the noose. Meaning there can't be a God if we're witnessing something like that. And so the big question for us today is, does the existence of evil and suffering, the way we see it in this world, does it discount does it disprove the existence of God? Now, for all of us, we have to get honest about this because this isn't just an intellectual issue, is it? This is a deeply personal issue because every one of us in this room, we've gone through atrocities. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe a loved one died. You know, your, your dad or your mom, they tragically died of cancer. You know, maybe someone contracted illness and you've watched them cruelly go through that journey so every one of us, we, it's hard for any one of us in this room really to come at this completely objectively because so much of our experience is wrapped up in evil and suffering as well. Uh, I remember, I've, I've shared this story with you guys before, um, but when I was in India a couple years ago, uh, I saw, uh, you know, here I am, middle class, white American with so much privilege. I'm walking into this third world nation with so much poverty and so much pain, and I'm watching a guy with no legs wheel himself through the street just to try to find some food. I spent time with 75 lepers, people whose body parts are falling off of them. 
And I wonder in the middle of seeing stuff like that, you know, I spent time with a whole community that had, I was infected with HIV AIDS and the Indian government just secluded them and put them all in this little, you know, ghetto just to try to, you know, keep them from everyone else in the, in the country. And I watch all of that and I think, God, where are you? Where are you? And so this is a problem that we have to wrestle with. It's a problem that every one of us will journey through. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do you deal with all this stuff? So we're going to ask three questions today. We're going to ask three questions. Does the reality of evil and suffering disprove the existence of God? In other words, how do we understand evil and suffering? Second, if not, why does God allow it? And what resources do we have to even journey through stuff like that? And then finally, is there any, any evidence whatsoever that God actually cares about us? All right, you guys ready for this? It's a big topic. I'm kind of like, you know, uh, I feel like I'm putting myself on trial right now for even addressing this because I'm just, I'm just like, spoiler alert on this one. I'm not going to explain why you're hurting right now. I'm not going to give you an answer for why you're hurting. But let's explore it objectively, okay? All right. First one, does it disprove the existence of God? And for those of you who are, who are new here today, um, this is a little bit of a different series. This is not what we do every week. Most of the time we just open up the Word of God and we work through it because we believe that this is the inspired Word of God. But this one is just a unique setting for us. And actually, if, if you're deeply skeptical about the Bible, you've got to come back next week because we're going to be looking at the reliability of the Bible, which our culture has a real hard time with, okay? But uh, that's for next week. This one... Uh, does evil and suffering, does it disprove the existence of God? Okay, so here's, here's point number one on this one. When we struggle with the existence of God based on evil and suffering, we are assuming something massive. Just to even say we have a hard time with God, we are assuming something about reality that atheism cannot explain. And it's this, that evil is real. That it's actually a thing to say that evil is real in the world and not just something perceived, what it assumes is a moral objective standard that goes across all human experience and all of time that actually exists outside of us. And so it's a baseline and because otherwise we can't say that something is right or something is really wrong. And the big question for us is if, if an objective standard of moral right and wrong actually exists, where did it come from? Okay. Someone might object and say, we don't need a lawgiver, we got evolution. And evolution conditions us to right and wrong because that's just how we survive in this world. But here's, here's the problem. Part of the evolutionary theory is survival of the fittest, is it not? Natural selection. Now, the natural pathway for natural selection and survival of the fittest is violence. We're here today because our ancestors were stronger than the other ancestors out there, and they beat them up and swallowed them up, and that's why we're here. Violence is the pathway to survival. And if all we have is atheism, if all we have is, you mean preference, you can't tell me what's actually objectively right and wrong. We have no way to say that violence is actually wrong. If we say that evil is real, we assume a moral objective standard that goes way beyond our human experience. Uh, one philosopher, Alvin Plantinga, said it this way. Could there really be any such thing as horrifying wickedness if there were no God and we just evolved? He says, I don't see how. There can be such a thing only if there was a way that rational creatures are supposed to live. That's so important, that word, supposed to. 
He says, obliged to live. In other words, why should we live a certain way as opposed to another? Unless there is a moral objective standard that goes across all times and all places that comes outside of this universe imposed into it. A secular way of looking at the world has no place for genuine moral obligation of any sort and thus no way to to say there's such a thing as genuine appalling wickedness. Accordingly, if you think that there is such a thing as horrifying wickedness and not just an illusion of some sort, then you have a powerful argument for the reality of God. Here's the reality. If we don't have an objective standard by which we measure right and wrong across all times and all places, we actually can't say that what Hitler did and the Nazis did was any wrong. It wasn't wrong, it was just a preference. You know, you didn't happen to like it, but that was what they chose to do with their life. Now, none of us believe that in this room. We all rebel against that at a heart level. I mean, we look at some of that stuff and we say, no, it's not just your way of living and my way of living and we just don't happen to like it. You know, you just say, you live however you want to live and I'm going to live however I want to live. No, we look at it and we say that's objectively wrong. What they did is appallingly wrong and is horrifying. And when we do that, we admit that we're assuming an objective standard that goes across all times and all places. One pastor put it this way. If, if this life is all there is and there is no God or life beyond the material world, then it, it will not ultimately matter whether you are a genocidal maniac or an altruist. It won't matter whether you fight hunger in Africa or are incredibly cruel and greedy and starving the poor. In the end, what you do will make no difference whatsoever. In other words, if the universe has no purpose to it, no inherent value that was given to it by a creator, then who's to say who's right and who's wrong? We may believe that it is wrong to starve the poor, but in a culture of created meanings, we're unable to say why. Your meaning in life might be to help the poor, but my meaning in life might be uh, to get rich by trampling on them. How in the context of self-created meanings can you explain why my chosen meaning in life is wrong? Now, here's, here's another way to just make this super real. This is a true story. Uh, back in 1997, there was uh, a young girl who's now known as the prom mom. If any, anybody heard of prom mom before, um, this is literally what happened. A high school girl went to the prom. She was pregnant. She went into the bathroom, delivered her kid, put her kid in the trash, and then returned to the dance floor. True story. Now, if you were operating your entire worldview based on natural selection and survival of the fittest, getting rid of a child actually helps you survive better. Any parents in the room, affirm me on that one. Survival doesn't help when you're a parent. True story. And yet, we looked at that and we said, objectively wrong. There's something horrifyingly wrong about that. It's not just your preference and your decision on how you want to live. There's something inherently wrong with that. How? You can't tell me there's something inherently wrong with it unless there is a lawgiver And here's the crazy thing. Romans chapter 2 says it this way. Paul, first century eyewitness of Jesus, he puts it this way. He says, when we we rebel against horrifying wickedness like that, what we do is we show that the law of God is actually written on our hearts. It says, they show that the work of the law, God's law, is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them are violent emotions to these things. It reveals that there is a law that God has written from the very beginning. And so evil and suffering not only does not disprove the existence of God, it actually leads us to say we can't say that something is evil 
We can't verify that we're suffering unless there is a law that God has written on our hearts. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, when I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have just given up my idea of justice by saying that it was nothing but my own private idea. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust. Not just simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. Consequently, he says, my atheism turned out to be too simple. Is, problem, is the problem of evil and suffering a deep problem for the existence of God? No question. Is it a problem for Christians? Absolutely. But it's actually a bigger problem for atheists. Because they have no category to actually say what is evil and what is not. So, that's atheism. Uh, what about some other faiths? We're going to go through this really quickly, okay? And afterwards, I, w- I want you guys to know right now, we have an environment right after this service uh, that we're calling Conversation and Food. It's going to be in the first room as you walk out. So if you have questions about this, man, I encourage you, come and join us. It's going to be an authentic environment where you can ask any questions you want. You can debate. Uh, you can fight back. You can say, no, Pastor Scott, you were dead wrong. I disagree with you about that. That's all good. It is a free environment to dialogue about that. So we're going to move pretty quickly through this uh, And if you want to pick it up later, man, I encourage you, come. We're going to have food. It's going to be awesome. Um, Eastern religion, particularly Buddhism, how do they handle evil and suffering? Well, the whole goal of Buddhism actually is to attain nirvana. And nirvana is an escape from this world. It's it's basically to lose yourself and your personality and your mind into the great nothingness. We just become one with the universe. That's, That's what Buddhism is all about. But the interesting thing for them is when you lose yourself completely and you try to escape this material world, what they do with evil and suffering is they say it is maya. Maya is an illusion. In other words, evil and suffering is not real. Atheism says evil and suffering is real. It just disproves the existence of God. 